I think it's unethical. I think it's unpatriotic. And yes, I think it's corrupt. He's not talking about the broadcast there, is he? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, up in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, though I admit I may not be all that friendly today, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Oh, goody. Looking at what we have to cover here today, uh, I'm not I'm not in a friendly mood. Let me just put it that way. Uh, let's start here. After the New York Times blasted false and wholly misleading and really, frankly, disinformative headlines like all caps, Mueller finds no Trump-Russia conspiracy and a cloud over Trump's presidency is lifted. That was on Monday after Sunday's release of a four-page letter to Congress by Trump Attorney General William Barr, said to be a summary of two years of work by Special Counsel Robert Mueller, which included uh, hundreds of interviews, thousands of subpoenas, more than 30 indictments, a whole bunch of convictions and guilty pleas by top Trump officials, and uh, campaign associates. Uh, After all of that, it seems like the New York Times has finally come to realize, oh, maybe they have been played. You think? All of those uh, articles, uh, no Trump-Russia conspiracy, a cloud lifted, as we tried to explain over and over since Sunday, and since all of the opinioning about what the uh, Mueller report means or doesn't mean... All of that was based on that one four-page memo by a guy appointed to the job because he opposed the entire existence of the special counsel in the first place. Now, maybe uh, Barr's summary is accurate. Maybe. Maybe it isn't. Uh, 
But it was compiled in less than 48 hours by a Trump appointee in clear hopes of clearing Trump himself. So you would think that a paper, the paper of record, after all, with, you know, a journalistic background and and the resources that The New York Times has, that they would be a hell of a lot more cautious and or responsible when covering that letter and, and and suggesting that it was the actual Mueller report they were talking about instead of this four-page summary, they were not talking about the Mueller report, even though they say Mueller finds no Trump-Russia conspiracy. A cloud over Trump's presidency is lifted. They were talking about William Barr's letter, which I have been trying to point out I think from day one, <laughs> yes. uh, after the release of the uh, not the release, the delivery of the report from Mueller over to Barr. This was one Trump guy's interpretation of that report, which he couldn't have even possibly read himself in less than uh, the 48 hours that he you know, used to come to these conclusions about what Mueller needed two years to himself not even come to full conclusions on. As Barr himself concedes in that memo, but apparently the New York Times didn't read it very closely or they don't give a damn. So today, maybe it seems that the New York Times maybe have figured out that they have been had. Their headline today, Mueller report exceeds 300 pages, raising questions about four-page summary. Now you have figured out that it raises questions, New York Times? Really? Four days later, and after you allowed these ridiculous victory laps by Donald Trump and his Republican cult members in Congress and on Fox News, which, by the way, went out of its way to hold up the New York Times on Monday, to hold it up on on camera on Trump's favorite show, Fox and Friends, and point to it and say, look, even the New York Times, front page, above the fold, all caps, Headline on Monday, Mueller finds no Trump-Russia conspiracy. Yeah, and even Steve Ducey, one of the Fox News hosts, said, oh, I bet that was hard for them to write that headline. It should have been much harder for them to write that headline. Yep. Because they were making it up, basically, because we don't know what Mueller has found or hasn't found. As their report starts today, the still secret report on Russian interference in the 2016 election submitted last week by the special counsel, Robert Mueller, was more than 300 pages long. The Justice Department acknowledged on Thursday, almost a week after that report had been delivered to Barr, by the way. Trump Attorney General William Barr, they just call him Mr. Barr here. So I, I don't know if it's an editing error but or if they were in such a hurry to correct the record that they didn't bother to note that it's actually Trump's own appointee here. Trump Attorney General William Barr wrote to Congress on Sunday offering what he called the, quote, principal conclusions of the report, including what Mr. Mueller had not found. That the uh, including that Mr. Mueller had not found that the Trump campaign had taken part in a conspiracy to undermine the election, but he had notably declined to publicly disclose the length of the report. That's right. Now, why do you suppose he would do that, New York Times? Didn't that strike you as curious? 
at the time before you wrote about how the Mueller report has, quote, lifted a cloud from over Trump's presidency. The total of 300 plus pages, as they describe it, suggests that Mueller went well beyond the kind of bare bones summary required by the Justice Department regulation governing the special counsel appointment and detailed his conclusions at length. Yeah, I guess he did. And they note it raises questions about what Barr might have left out of the four pages he sent to Congress. Welcome, New York Times, catching up to the rest of us days later. Yes, I mean, they're just coming to this all of these days later. Answering those questions, they write, is likely to prove difficult for lawmakers and the public. Barr has indicated to two congressional chairmen that it will most likely take weeks to redact the report for classified and grand jury information the department deems unfit for public consumption. Well, that's okay. In all of those weeks, we'll all be able to look at the New York Times headline talking about how everything is cool. He's been totally cleared, vindicated. But Justice Department officials, including some from the AG's office, also plan to examine the report before sending any documents to Congress for possible material that the president could claim as privileged, according to department officials. So let's see. We'll take out classified stuff. We'll take out grand jury information and we'll take out anything that either the White House or the Department of Justice apparently decides to be privileged information. That would most likely uh, create another tranche of material from Mueller's investigation to be withheld from Congress and kick off a fight between lawmakers and the administration to further delay a resolution. If the DOJ were to deem certain aspects of Mueller's report to be subject to executive privilege, Democrats in Congress would almost certainly contest those assertions, force Trump to actually claim the privilege, and risk a court challenge or not, which, by the way, did not work out well when Richard Nixon tried to stop the release of the Watergate tapes by claiming executive privilege. Of course, that was a different time, a different Supreme Court. Who knows what this stolen Supreme Court, Donald Trump's stolen Supreme Court, uh, how they might uh, see it. Democrats, uh, back to the Times here, who, like all other lawmakers, have not seen the report, have already all but accused Barr of covering up damaging information it contains, as well they should. And, by the way, they should accuse papers like the New York Times and all of the other corporate media dupes who reported on Barr's letter uh, credulously, uncredulously, thank you, you know, as if it was the actual Mueller report that they were covering. They, too, helped to cover up damaging information as well, presuming the report, by the way, contains any. I don't know if it does. But the point is, nobody does. Nobody other than Barr and Mueller and Deputy A.G. Rosenstein. Nobody else actually knows what has or hasn't been covered up. Democrats have specifically focused on uh, on an apparent difference between the views of Barr and Mueller on whether Trump obstructed justice. Democrats demand that the attorney general make the full report and evidence public. Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, the uh, minority leader in the Senate, said in a speech on the floor uh, for Mr. Barr to quickly issue a four page report in his attempt to try to exonerate Trump and now to to delay the release 
of an over 300-page report by Mueller so the American people and we senators and congressmen can see what was written has too much of the odor of political expediency to help the man who appointed him, that would be President Trump. So the new ballpark page length, as the Times now calls it, uh, came about a week after a senior Justice Department official told reporters the, uh, only that the report was, quote, comprehensive. Congressman Jerry Nadler of New York, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, added the description was uh, of the report as, quote, very substantial that after talking to Mr. Barr on Wednesday, although neither he nor any other member of Congress has seen the report, and he declined to give a specific page count yesterday. I had a phone call with the attorney general, and I asked him about the length and breadth of the Mueller report. He told me it was a very substantial report. A very substantial report, uh, one that, in my judgment, a four-page summary can do no, cannot begin to do justice to. Uh, I asked him when we would see it, and he couldn't get specific. He said weeks, not months, as, as we've heard before. I asked whether the whether he could commit that the full report, uh, the un, an unredacted full report with the underlying documents, evidence, would be provided to Congress and to the American people, and. Uh, he, said he wouldn't commit to that. He wouldn't make a commitment to that. I am very concerned about that. How, how long many pages is the report? When you say very substantial, do you mean hundreds okay. of pages? What, what, how many pages? I can't say that, but it's very substantial. And you know how many pages it is? Yes. Fox News it's is very substantial. 700. What? Fox News is saying 700. Is that accurate? More than that? Less I can't comment. Why is, that, why, why is that an issue? Why is that confidential? Because he... Uh, I was told, and I wasn't told that I could release that information. But it's very substantial. Very substantial, less than a thousand. Oh, I would think so. But Is it more than five hundred? <laughs> Did he say there was a counterintelligence component to this report? We didn't talk about that. <laughs> was it more than five hundred? Hilarious. What do you mean, Congressman, you were told you couldn't release that information? Why is the number of pages in this report confidential? Just the number of pages in it is something you didn't get permission from the Trump administration to say out loud. Really? Uh, you heard the reference to Fox News reporting that it was 700 pages. That's uh, from Andrew Napolitano. He's a legal analyst at Fox. Uh, and on Wednesday, he said multiple times on air that the report was 700 pages. So is it 700 pages? Is it 300 pages? Will 400 pages have disappeared by the time it was delivered, between the time it was delivered to Barr and the time he allows the public to see it? I mean, I'm really not sure why Nadler felt that he needed permission to say how many pages the damn thing was. Carrie Kupek, a uh, Justice Department spokeswoman, confirmed the length of the document after The New York Times reported it today, citing American officials who spoke anonymously because they were not authorized to discuss details of the report. Why is that a secret that only anonymous people can speak to how long the report is? Barr told Nadler uh, on Wednesday uh, that the report was more than 300 pages long, said Ms. Kupek, uh, according to The New York Times. Well, how many more pages than 300, Ms. Kupek? 
by the way, the Watergate roadmap that was sent to Congress by the grand jury investigation uh, into Richard Nixon and his associates, that was only 62 pages. That was sent to lawmakers in 1974, and it was not made public until last year. So this may take a while. (laughs) Uh, Mueller uh, probably collected and generated hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pages of paper during his investigation, says The Times. Congress has made clear that it would eventually like access to all of them. But it didn't strike the New York Times as strange before they published those gift headlines on on Monday that they were only seeing a four page summary that only included about 50 words that were actually quoted from the uh, initial from the actual report. And included not even one complete sentence from the report. So. The, the, the partial sentences that we got may have been completely out of context from a two-year report. Now, look, I've been as uh, skeptical about all sorts of aspects of the claims about so-called collusion with Russia. I've been as skeptical, really, as anyone. But is it is it that hard to still be skeptical about what a Trump appointee has told you about a two-year criminal and counterintelligence investigation? of Trump that comes in a four-page summary, New York Times? Really? Uh, So, I mean, you know, there are, yes, a lot of questions, a lot of questions uh, about what we don't know based on Barr's report, but the idea that we would go out there and draw conclusions about Mueller's report based on what Barr had to say about it is laughable. It's been used as a political weapon, and it was used as a political weapon today in the House Intelligence Committee, where the uh, Republicans there demanded that uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, the panel's Democratic chairman, resign from that role over his handling of Russia investigations involving Donald Trump, according to CNBC. Uh, Adam Schiff, who has been one of special counsel uh, Robert Mueller's leading advocates, laid out what he called the, quote, evidence of collusion in what CNBC describes as a fiery response to the call from Republicans. The call for uh, Schiff to step down was submitted during a hearing in a letter signed by all nine of the committee's Republican members. It came hours after Trump tweeted on Thursday morning that Schiff, quote, should be forced to resign from Congress. That uh, just a few days after Trump uh, and the White House said that the Mueller report was, quote, a total exoneration for the president, which even Barr's own letter in one of the very few quotes from Mueller's at least 300 page report uh, had said that on the question of obstruction of justice specifically, Mueller did not exonerate the president. So all of this, everything that's happening, everything that I warned about the first time we were on the air on Monday after the release of this Sunday report, all of this is coming from that single four-page letter from William Barr, a guy who was appointed to the role by Donald Trump because he opposed the special counsel's investigation in the first place. And while Barr's four-page letter suggests, accurately or not, who knows, that the special counsel investigation did not find 
did not find that the uh, Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired or coordinated with Russia. It specifically says with Russia in its efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election. It does not quote from Mueller's report on any of that, and it doesn't say whether they uh, conspired on anything else with Russia or whether Mueller didn't find such evidence or that he ruled out that any of it happened. I mean, this is journalism 101 stuff, and even I know it, and I never went to journalism school. But I think someone at the New York Times and all of these other outlets who have been reporting this nonsense, they surely they went to journalism school, right? Or maybe they did go to journalism school. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. The letter uh, from the House Intel Committee Republicans says that uh, Barr's summary of special counsel Robert Mueller's recently delivered Russia report, um, which says Mueller did not find sufficient evidence to establish that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia to influence the 2016 election. Thank you, CNBC, for pointing that out. Uh, the Republicans said that 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 uh, Barr's letter, quote, conclusively refutes Schiff's past and present claims, which, of course, it does not. Schiff's uh, claims may not turn out to be accurate, but the Barr letter does not refute them conclusively or otherwise. The Republicans say in the letter, quote, your actions, both past and present, are incompatible with your duty as chairman of this committee. As such, we have no faith in your ability to discharge your duties in a matter consistent with your constitutional responsibility and urge your immediate resignation as chairman of this committee. This, by the way, was the same committee in the House that was previously chaired by Devin Nunes. Yeah. For the past two years. Uh, and I don't have time to get into his problems. But anyway, uh, Schiff shot back that the uh, Republican colleagues uh, in, a, in a lengthy speech in response, uh, he highlighted the Russians offer of damaging information on 2016 Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's Jr.'s willing, willingness to accept that, quote, dirt. By the way, that would already be a campaign finance violation soliciting and or receiving a thing of value from a, uh, a foreign source, as we discussed on yesterday's broadcast. Uh, Schiff also mentioned former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort's offer of internal polling data to an allegedly Kremlin-linked source. Well, I don't know if that's lawful or not one way or another, but it does speak to some coordination and other allegations that had surfaced over the course of the Russia probe. Here's part of Schiff's response to Republicans today. You might say that's all okay. You might say that's just what you need to do to win. But I don't think it's okay. I think it's immoral. I think it's unethical. I think it's unpatriotic. And yes, I think it's corrupt and evidence of collusion. I do not think that conduct, criminal or not, is okay. And the day we do think that's okay is the day we will look back and say that is the day America lost its way. Well, I think we ought to be uh, looking back at that day <laughs> already at yeah. this point. Um, 
All right, let's let's take a quick break. Uh, I was going to say I'll take a quick break and cool down, but I have a feeling some of this audio you've got for me, Des, may not make me cool down. We've got some uh, more congressional madness coming up here today, and frankly, some of it is 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 even much more serious as I see it. So, quick break, and we'll be back with some of that on today's broadcast. Oh, and Desi Doyen's latest Green News report—that's also on the docket today. All straight ahead. Don't go away. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Well, I've been working in a coal mine Going down, down Working in a coal mine About to slip down Working in a coal Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. In your radio minds here today. Um, okay, so I, as mentioned, uh Desi Doyen's Green News report is coming up, uh, but there's a few of the things that we cover in the GNR today, Des, that I think need more space than the six minutes afforded by (laughs) the uh, by the GNR. Yes. Uh, So I want to play some uh, expanded clips of some of the stuff we will cover in the uh, in the report coming up and uh, that it's impossible to do justice uh, unless we play it at a slightly longer length here. So let's start with um, (laughs) Mike Lee, uh, senator from Utah. This is uh, during a Senate debate this uh, past week over the Green New Deal. This sham vote that Republicans decided to hold in the U.S. Senate on um, the Green New Deal, which was proposed by Ed Markey of Massachusetts, Democrat in the uh, in In the the Senate Senate. and over in the House by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. Uh, A huge plan to basically, uh, well, move from. Yeah, go ahead. To to transform the United States economy, to create millions of jobs by addressing climate change, uh, cleaning up legacy pollution, uh, basically retrofitting everything, our infrastructure, uh, all all jobs that cannot be outsourced. And also it bans cows, right? No. It bans cars, doesn't it? No, There'll be no plane. Planes will be disallowed forever, right? None of that stuff. And in fact, it actually has strong components of calling for a just transition specifically for coal miners, fossil fuel industry workers, assisting farmers with the changes to come, all oh, of that stuff. Oh, oh, we will get to that. All right. So <laughs> during this debate over this fake phony vote on the Green New Deal, Senator Mike Lee of Utah used his time on the Senate floor to uh, combat the Green New Deal legislation by way of the most inane bout of pandering possibly ever recorded, Nick Martin writes over at Splinter News. Uh, He opened with a brief monologue concerning fear, saying that, quote, unlike some of my colleagues, I'm not immediately afraid of what carbon emissions unaddressed might do to our environment in the near future. Likewise, Lee said he's not afraid of the Green New Deal because he doesn't believe it will pass. Lee then unveiled a whole bunch of images, huge pictures that I guess we taxpayers uh, got to pay for. Yep. For example, a huge image of President Ronald Reagan 
riding on a velociraptor. A dinosaur. Holding a huge American flag. And a machine gun. While firing a machine gun, right? Yeah. It all went downhill from there. So let's, uh, you've been warned, but uh, here's some of Mike Lee from the Senate this week. No Utah needs to hear pious lectures about the gravity of climate change from politicians from other states. For it was only in 2016, as viewers of the Sci-Fi Network will well remember, when climate change hit home in Utah, when our own state was struck not simply by a tornado, Mr. President, but by a tornado with sharks in it. These images are from the indispensable documentary film, Sharknado 4. They captured the precise moment when one of the tornado sharks crashed through the window of Utah's governor, Governor Gary Herbert. A true Utah hero and a fine American, Governor Herbert, who, by the way, is an incredible athlete and an expert tennis player, Governor Herbert bravely fought the animal off with the tennis racket that he keeps by his desk precisely for occasions such as this. So let's be really clear, Mr. President. Climate change is no joke, but the Green New Deal is a joke. Hilarious, isn't it, so far? Uh, yeah. You can hear all the laughter in the Senate, how well this is all going over, uh, comparing climate change to Sharknado. Uh, yeah, keep going. But the Green New Deal is a joke. It is the legislative equivalent of Austin Powers' Dr. Evil, demanding sharks with frickin' lasers on their heads. The Green New Deal is not the solution to climate change. It's not even part of the solution. In fact, it's part of the problem. The solution to climate change won't be found in political posturing or virtue signaling like this. It won't be found in the federal government at all. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. Mr. President, this is the real solution to climate change. Babies. Yes, and then he had a big picture of a bunch of babies. Yes. What the hell is he talking about? It's do, not exactly... Do you exactly, have any idea? Yeah, I mean, this was like a 15-minute speech that he made yeah. with all kinds of crazy graphic posters and yeah. stuff. So his idea, I believe that he's trying to say is, gosh, we need more people to have babies and focus on uh, expanding human potential. Okay, well, there's a solution. Uh, it sounds like he's got this one nailed. Well, it's okay. Get married, have babies, as long as you're not, say, a same-sex marriage or a trans person oh, yeah. or any well, of that. Certain, only certain people can exactly. have babies. Uh, and, and Green New Deal is, is part of the problem? The Green New Deal is part of the problem of stopping man-made climate change that is uh, costing the world trillions of dollars and untold numbers of lives? Uh, I, I thought he was going to say there when he said, well, there is a solution. And I thought he was going to say the free market, because so far, how's that free market going? How's that working out for us? How's that solving the problem of climate change and global warming? Um, so that's the idiot Mike Lee from Utah. Shameful, uh, embarrassing idiot uh he he you know he had a, a picture of uh aquaman uh, on a seahorse from super friends he had a picture of uh, space lizards from the empire strikes back 
And then, of course, those Sharknado 4 references, which are hilarious. Senator Patty Murray, uh, Democrat of Washington, uh, she was next to speak after Lee, uh, and she chastised him for playing, uh, quote, silly political games, though she did not bring any visual aids. So I guess she didn't get the uh, kind of airtime that Mike Lee did. Uh, Lee, uh, as uh, Nick Martin writes, uh, simply turned his head to the side and looked to his big oil owners for another treat. But this is not a joke, which Sheldon Whitehouse, a uh, senator from Rhode Island, a state uh, seriously threatened by global warming, uh, as Senator Whitehouse pointed out in response to this nonsense. Rhode Island is a coastal state, and we are now looking at maps that our coastal agency, that our university, and that the scientists at NOAA tell us will create a new face of Rhode Island in the decades ahead if we don't address climate change. We turn into an archipelago. We lose enormous amounts of waterfront. And as a small state, frankly, Mr. President, we don't have a lot to give back to the ocean. This is deadly serious for us. And I join in my colleague's sense of offense that the other side thinks that this is something funny. This is not funny for Rhode Islanders. This is deadly real. And you may disagree with us, but the one thing I think we are owed on this subject is sincerity. And there is nothing sincere about the vote that is going to be held on the Green New Deal. This is a vote based on a cartoon version of the Green New Deal that was cooked up by the Koch brothers, who have their oily hands all over this mess. And it was instructed by the fossil fuel mouthpiece at the Wall Street Journal editorial page. It took only days for the majority leader to hop up and do the bidding of these farces. We are owed better than this. Disagree with our measures? Fine. Have one of your own. We have five or six different bills and strategies that we're willing to work on. This is a time to be serious, to be sincere, and to quit mocking a concern that across the board is recognized as real. In fact, there is not a Republican here who can't go to their home state university and be told about the truth of climate change. With that, I yield the floor. He mad. Yeah, rightfully so. Yep. Uh, yeah, as he said, Rhode Island turns into an archipelago as the seas continue to rise. And uh, Senator Whitehouse has been working on uh, trying to do something about uh, climate change and man-made uh, fossil fuel emissions for years, been trying to work with Republicans for years and years to try to do something. And I guess the thanks he gets is that they uh, make jokes about uh, Aquaman and shark tornadoes and so forth. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was none too happy about any of this as well. Uh, she had uh, she was in a hearing on Tuesday, and I don't think it had to do with uh, the Green New Deal. But I think I want to play her remarks here before I get to uh, one more story that underscores how deadly serious this is. 
So, uh, yeah, this is at a markup hearing in the House Financial Services Committee. It was a markup of legislation aimed at addressing homelessness. Okay. But our uh, representative Sean Duffy, a Republican of Wisconsin, introduced an amendment to this bill that was aimed not at improving it, but instead at lying about it. Uh, that somehow uh, that he was pretending like he didn't know that the Green New Deal would actually appropriate funding to retrofit the income, the homes of low and middle income people for energy efficiency saying this was only a problem that uh, the elite were concerned with but aside from that when we talk about uh, the concern of the environment as an elitist concern one year ago i was waitressing in a taco shop in downtown manhattan i just got health insurance for the first time a month ago this is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. You want to tell people that their concern and their desire for clean air and clean water is elitist? Tell that to the kids in the South Bronx, which are suffering from the highest rates of childhood asthma in the country. Tell that to the families in Flint, whose kids have their blood is ascending in, in lead levels. Their brains are damaged for the rest of their lives. Call them elitist. You're telling them that those kids are trying to get on a plane to Davos? People are dying. They are dying. And the response across the other side of the aisle is to introduce an amendment five minutes before a hearing and a markup. This is serious. This should not be a partisan issue. This is about our constituents and all of our lives. Iowa, Nebraska, broad swaths, swaths of the Midwest are drowning right now underwater. Farms, towns that will never be recovered and never come back. And we're here and, and people are more concerned about helping oil companies than helping their own families? I don't think so. I don't think so. This is about our lives. This is about American lives. And it should not be partisan. Science should not be partisan. This, we are facing a national crisis. And if we do not ascend to that crisis, if we do not ascend to the, to, to the levels in which we were threatened at the Great Depression, when we were threatened in World War II, if we do not ascend to those levels, if we tell the American public that we are more willing to invest and bail out big banks than we are willing to invest in our farmers and our urban families, then I don't know what we're here doing. I don't know what we're here doing. At this point, I don't either. That was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She mad, too. Yeah. And she followed up that to say, look, we're going to already pay no matter what with climate change. We can either be proactive and do stuff to prepare, or we can be reactive and pay to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild over and over again. And not that it's uh, not hilarious seeing a picture of Ronald Reagan riding on a dinosaur firing a, a machine gun while carrying a, an American flag. Not, not that that's not hysterical to see that the solution to climate change is babies. Not that that's not hilarious. Here's something else that's just hysterical. Former coal miner John Robinson's bills for black lung treatment run $4,000 a month. But the federal fund that he depends on to help cover them is being drained of money because of inaction by Congress and the Trump administration. Well, who can blame them? They were busy uh, printing up photos of Aquaman. 
Amid the turmoil of the government shutdown this winter, a tax on coal that helps pay for the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund was cut sharply on January 1, according to Associated Press, and it has never been restored, potentially saving coal operators hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So good news for the coal industry, right? With cash now just trickling into the fund at less than half of its usual rate, budget officials estimate that by the middle of 2020, there will be not enough money to fully cover the fund's benefit payments. This, as a surge of black lung disease, scars miners' lungs at younger ages than ever. John Robinson, whose treatments cost him $4,000 a month, worries not only about the cuts to his benefits, but that young, younger miners will not get any coverage. He said coal miners sort of been put on the back burner, thrown to the side. This he said in his uh, small Virginia town of Coburn, which is near the Kentucky border. That would be Mitch McConnell's Kentucky border. Robinson said they just ain't being done right. President Donald Trump, who vowed to save the coal industry during the 2016 campaign, has repeatedly praised miners. Notice, by the way, uh, he vowed to save the coal industry, not to save the miners. Who needs them? At an August rally in West Virginia filled with miners in hard hats, Trump called them, quote, great people, brave people. I don't know how the hell you do that. You guys have a lot of courage. Trump made no mention, however, of restoring the 2018 tax rate in his proposed budget that was released this month. There's nothing in there about it. He was able to cut $18 million for the Special Olympics, which he today finally relented in restoring, but nothing about health care for dying coal miners that he professes to love, that he has used over and over and over again as campaign props, while being more than happy, apparently, to just let them die. And now, now he says uh, the Republican Party will be known as the party of health care. You watch. He said that the other day. Yeah. The White House said in a statement last week that uh, President Trump and his administration have always supported the mining industry by prioritizing deregulation and less Washington interference which, of course, by prioritizing deregulation and uh, Washington interference means more black lung, more dead miners, you jackasses. What do you think happens when you do away with regulations? What do you think happens when you do away with inspections? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, whose home state of Kentucky is third in the nation in coal production, told a reporter from Ohio Valley Resource in October that the tax rate, uh, quote, would be taken care of before we get into an expiration situation. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. We got to the expiration situation and it expired January 1. Your constituents, Senator McConnell, who are dying from black lung at alarming new rates. A spokesperson for McConnell uh, did not repeat the pledge uh, once again that uh, McConnell had made earlier when AP talked to them for this story. Instead, he wrote in an email that McConnell, quote, continues to prioritize maintaining and protecting the benefits. He'll get to it. 
Trump and McConnell have reaped large contributions, of course, from the coal industry. According to uh, Open Secrets website, Trump received more than $276,000 during the 2016 presidential election from uh, political action committees and individuals affiliated with coal companies. His inaugural committee received a million dollars from Joe Kraft, the CEO of Alliance Resource Partners in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And $300,000 from Murray Energy Corporation. That's the nation's largest privately owned coal mining company. Are they still in business? Aren't they under? Oh, yeah. Aren't they uh, damn near filing for bankruptcy, as I recall? Uh, But they'll get protection from the government. Exactly. For him, not for the coal miners, not for their pensions, not for their health care. No, of course not. Those people will be out of luck. Filing for bankruptcy is the way that the coal industry has traditionally shed their pension and health care obligations for retired miners. They do it legally. They palm it off, taxpayers pay for it, or it just goes away. McConnell has received more than $300,000 in coal industry donations since 2014, last time he was up for election. Congress established this trust fund, the one in question that has been allowed to expire. They established it back in 1978, and until the rate expired... Money came from an excise tax of $1.10 per ton of underground coal and 55 cents on surface mined coal that uh, that brought in $450 million last year. So that comes from the sale of coal that the coal industry must pay. And without this tax extended, the rates fell to about 50 cents and 25 cents uh, for underground coal and 25 cents for strip mine coal uh, when they blow off the top of mountains and get all the coal that way. Uh, so the, so basically the, the, the tax that was being paid fell by more than half with, when this uh, expired at the beginning of the year. So less money into the fund as coal is selling less and less, which means that the coal industry is happy to not have to pay those extra taxes, even if it results in killing their own miners, which they clearly do not give a damn about. The fund provides health benefits and payments to about 25,000 retired miners. Most uh, worked for companies that are now bankrupt. Many, including Robinson, who pays $4,000 a month, struggle to breathe as their lungs are slowly stifled by dust and particles that are trapped there from their work in the mines. Robinson was diagnosed at the age of 47. He was part of a wave of younger miners that doctors uh, and experts say have now been swept up into a new black lung epidemic in Appalachia. Robinson, who is now 53, uh, and others who depend on the fund are disappointed that McConnell and other leaders who typically enjoy miners' support are now ignoring their concerns. Uh, Patty Ambergie, whose husband uh, died of black lung disease in 2007, said, I just feel that Mitch McConnell has let the citizens of Kentucky down. She draws a monthly widow's payment through the black lung disability benefit. Uh, Dr. Brandon Crum has watched this new epidemic unfold in Kentucky. In less than four years, Crum has seen 200 minors diagnosed with a severe form of black lung disease called pulmonary massive fibrosis. The nation had just 31 such diagnoses in the 90s. 
He says we're looking at men in their 30s and 40s on oxygen being evaluated for lung transplants. Patty Ambergie, whose husband was killed by black lung, said there will be fewer benefits for the growing number of younger minors with black lung if the fund is depleted. Robinson said he's now worried the trust fund money will dry up entirely. The mining industry supported the increased tax rate expiring. They call the effort now to maintain it an unnecessary tax increase. Now that it has been allowed to expire while the government was shut down, if they restore it, that would be a tax increase that the coal miners, the coal mining industry, the owners, the boss mines, the, the, the mine bosses that they are against. The National Mining Association, which speaks for the industry, says the lower rate will be sufficient to cover monthly benefit costs for the fund. They said extending the rate would lead to job losses. Should we lose jobs or should we kill miners? Let's go with killing the miners, I guess. Uh, this is where we are. Uh, a GAO report from last year uh, contradicts the claim, says that the fund's beneficiaries could multiply due to increased occurrence of black lung disease and its most severe form the progressive massive fibrosis, particularly among Appalachian coal miners, the increase in younger black lung sufferers will put more pressure on the fund as the industry continues to shrink. Ambergris says Trump reneged on his pledge to support miners. She says Trump promised that he would bring the mines back and take care of the miners, and that is not happening, she said. He promised us a snowball in July. He sure did, and a lot of miners believed it. They bought it. They should have voted for Hillary Clinton, who had a plan to actually take care of these people, as does the Green New Deal, by the way, the same Green New Deal that these Republicans like Mitch McConnell are making fun of with jokes and mock votes in the U.S. Senate. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, I told you at the top of the show, this might not be our funniest one of no. all time. So, uh, still not funny, but we'll get to it. Our latest Green News report. Green New Deal is not the solution to climate change. In fact, it's part of the problem. Senate Republicans ridicule climate solutions. This is deadly serious for us. As Democrats fight back during Green New Deal stunt vote in the Senate. New Mexico and Puerto Rico set targets for 100% renewable electricity. Plus, Big Oil has spent a billion dollars on climate lobbying and ads since the Paris Agreement. All of that propaganda revealed and much more. Straight ahead from Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Mr. President, this 
is the real solution to climate change. Babies. Some things don't need a snarky reply, do they? Nope. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Dizzy Doyen, after trying to get Senator Mitch McConnell to hold votes on one thing after another after another that are priorities for Democrats, Mitch McConnell finally was willing to do so when it came to the Green New Deal. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? As expected, Senate Democrats rejected what they called a sham vote on the non-binding Green New Deal resolution. It was brought to the Senate floor on Tuesday by Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell without any hearings or expert testimony in hopes of creating a wedge among Democrats. So the actual legislation was not in any way reviewed, was not marked up in committee, and yet he just threw it out onto the floor for a vote. Exactly. Not a sham at all. The non-binding resolution, which calls for mobilizing the nation to create millions of jobs by addressing climate change, failed 57 to 0 as nearly all Democrats voted present. Three Democrats voted with the Republicans, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Doug Jones of Alabama, and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, along with independent Angus King from Maine. But even as Midwesterners right now are suffering in historic flooding, Republican Senator Mike Lee of of Utah joked about global warming and extreme weather. Climate change hit home in Utah when our own state was struck not simply by a tornado, Mr. President, but by a tornado with sharks in it. Yep, that's right. He made a joke about Sharknado. It's not all that funny, and you would think that Mitch McConnell of Kentucky would realize that and would realize that the Green New Deal would help out a whole lot of his constituents in the coal industry who are losing their jobs and who are, frankly, losing their lives. And just want to point out that extreme weather disasters cost the U.S. nearly $100 billion last year alone. Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, whose tiny coastal state is already impacted by rising seas, excoriated Republicans and noted that they have no plan to deal with climate change. I join in my colleague's sense of offense that the other side thinks that this is something funny. This is not funny for Rhode Islanders. This is deadly real. Disagree with our measures? Fine. Have one of your own. Well, they're not going to do that. Well, according to Oil Change International, the senators who voted no on the Green New Deal resolution have collectively received $55 million in fossil fuel campaign cash. Total coincidence. Meanwhile, a new report from UK nonprofit Influence Map finds that since the UN Paris Climate Agreement was signed in 2015, lobbying by the oil industry has increased sharply. The five biggest oil companies have together spent more than a billion dollars in just the last three years on aggressive lobbying to block and delay climate and energy policies, while simultaneously funding slick PR campaigns claiming they support action, particularly in the U.S. On Wednesday, the U.S. Air Force announced it requires $5 billion to repair Air Force bases in Florida and Nebraska that have been severely damaged by extreme weather and floods. The Air Force warns it will be forced to ground planes, cut pilot training and halt base construction projects in 18 states. And those base construction projects, that's the money that Donald Trump was going to move to his border wall, isn't it? Yep. Hmm. 
But there is some good news. Good. A new study finds that existing U.S. coal plants right now cost more to operate than building new renewable sources like wind and solar. That means that shutting down three quarters of all U.S. coal plants today and replacing them with new renewables would save customers millions in energy costs. And that's not including savings on health care from reduced air pollution. Mitch McConnell's not going to like that, but his constituents will. Finally, New Mexico and Puerto Rico have joined California. California and Hawaii in moving to renewable electricity. New Mexico's Democratic Governor Michelle Grisham signed sweeping energy legislation targeting 100% zero carbon electricity by 2045. And Puerto Rico, still struggling to recover from the devastation wrought by Hurricane Maria a year and a half ago, passed legislation this week to accelerate their transition away from centralized fossil fuel power plants to localized distributed clean energy sources with battery storage, targeting 100% renewable electricity by 2050. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. Greatly appreciated. Um, uh, a quick note from Lisa R., who uh, stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to say, Thanks, Brad and Desi, for such awesome and informative shows. I rely on you for accurate, in-depth analysis of current political and environmental news. Thank you for also allowing free access to past shows and other info on your website. Well, thank you, Lisa R. Much appreciated. Thank you for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, For some reason, the coal companies are not sponsoring the Bradcast anymore. I don't know what they're uh, thinking of. They never did. No. Let's be clear. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) just to be clear. Uh, So thanks uh, to folks like uh, Lisa and everyone else who stops by to help keep us on your public airwaves. My thanks, of course, to our producer, Desi Doyen. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it, as Lisa says, for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me uh, or find, follow, and uh, share what we do on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog, And my email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. That is it. Until we meet again uh, next time with a much more hilarious program. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.